Well, Psalm 6, beginning in verse 1, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been blessed by the riches that God has given us in the three Psalms that David wrote and that we've considered thus far, haven't we? We've learned much about David in these Psalms. We've learned much about his enemies as well as his relationship with God. We've seen Christ in these Psalms gloriously. And have also learned much about ourselves and have grown in our knowledge and our walk with the Lord as well. As we consider David, we've seen that he was a courageous and a humble man. He was at times a fearful and an anxious man who was in much danger. However, he was also a man who knew the Lord, who knew his promises, and who trusted in him in the midst of his struggles and distress. David sought to be faithful to God. We've also seen how he has been open with his petitions to the Lord as he called upon God for comfort, he called upon him for help and action in his life, and on behalf, on his behalf, and protecting him from his enemies. What things have stood out to you as you think back on these first five psalms, and in particular, David's psalms in Psalm 3 through 5? How has the Spirit sanctified you as he has worked in and through his word in your heart? As our Lord used these psalms to draw you closer to himself and to better inform you and to deepen your prayers, I pray that this is true. For Psalm 3 pressed the Lord's help to us in our times of trouble. Praise God that salvation belongs to him. He pours out his blessings upon his people. And in Psalm 4, 
we know that we are blessed by the work of divine mercy from the God of our righteousness, who relieves us in our distress. And praise God that he has set us apart and he has put gladness in our hearts. Praise him for his work of causing us to dwell in safety in Christ. And in Psalm 5, we've been blessed to know that he is the God who hears us and considers our groanings. He hears and considers our spoken prayers. But he also considers the unspoken groanings of our hearts. And we worship him. We worship him with our whole hearts and we rejoice in his faithful blessing and the guarding that he does and provides of the righteous. And so as we begin Psalm 6 tonight, we find it to be a penitential psalm and one of the personal laments that David experienced uh, and, and spoke of even as he experienced severe illness and grief. Let's consider this psalm under two headings. First, David's prayer for mercy and deliverance in the first five verses. And second, David's tears of grief in verses 6 through 10. But notice where David begins. On the one hand, we may expect that he'll begin where he's begun thus far in the other three psalms that he wrote, or in similar ways. But see how he opens this prayer. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Beloved, as we hear David's cry to the Lord here, we're mindful of how David desired or was otherwise glad that God brought the heat of his anger against sinners and their sin, but yet he's crying out for the Lord's mercy toward him. Remember, David cried out for salvation, as he also said in Psalm 3, verse 7, For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. And further in Psalm 5, verses 5 through 7, he said some very strong words regarding the Lord, didn't he? He said, you hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And yet here in verse 1, David's cry is for the opposite treatment. He desired divine mercy considering himself and his condition before the Lord. This psalm is much, as we'll see, it is much of a psalm of one who is broken and one who is sorrowful over his sin. Who else could a child of God go to except his father? And for David, his heavenly father. And so he came. He went to the Lord, yet again in his trouble, in his grief, and see that his petition was twofold. He says, don't rebuke me in anger. And secondly, don't chasten me in your hot displeasure. 
David opens Psalm 38 with the same petitions, but for a different reason. Hear his words there. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. And why? For your arrows pierce me deeply. Your hand presses me down. Beloved, those of you who are fathers, men, many of you know the experience of having a child come to you saying, Dad, don't be mad at me. Don't come against me in your anger, please. Even more here, David knew that God could justly rebuke him. He deserved such rebuke. However, he also desired that God would refrain from, from verbal and, and, and physical punishment. Notice David desired that God wouldn't chasten or discipline him in hot displeasure. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11, section 5, on justification, teaches us something that's very helpful and connected here. It says in section 5, God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from a state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Beloved, though God be displeased with David's sin, and indeed he was, for God hates all sin, David was a lawbreaker. He was a redeemed lawbreaker, one who was a child of the living God, but nonetheless a lawbreaker. Though God be displeased with David's sin, David's desire was that God wouldn't pour out his rage upon him. Beloved, praise the Lord that as we are in Christ, God's hand of chastening, which is really parent and child relationship language, right? As a father to a son, God's hand of chastening towards us is for our correction, not our destruction. And we see this contrast here as we consider David's Psalms thus far, and even the words that I've read in Psalm 3 and Psalm 5 earlier, we see the Lord's anger and his wrath against the wicked and their sin. But yet we see his compassion and his mercy and his correction, not for their destruction towards his children. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, the first 13 verses also helps us tremendously in understanding the discipline and the chastening of the Lord. You can turn with me there if you'd like. It's a wonderful passage. I'd encourage you to visit it often and to study it. In verse 1, we read, For consider him, meaning Christ, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to what? As to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Connect this back with David's words and his petition. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. See the purpose and the reason in the chastening of God towards his children. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It doesn't feel good in the midst of it, does it, kids? When you're disciplined by your father or your mother, it's painful. It hurts. But... Even as we consider the chastening of God, it's not joyful for the present. But nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. And therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and, and make, straight the, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Beloved, God doesn't allow the sin of his children to go unchecked. We need to praise him for that. We need to thank him for that. None of us really looks forward to discipline. In fact, in ourselves, we are tempted to run from it. Maybe some of you kids have even tried to physically run away because you know the corrective action that is coming because of your sin. But yet we need to have a different view and an understanding of discipline, don't we? We need to see discipline not only as it relates in a right understanding of how it should be true amongst and with our parents, but also with our Heavenly Father. God does not look the other way. He doesn't wink Or turn a blind eye at sin. David knew this to be true, and we do as well. We need to know it even more. He doesn't allow it to go unchecked, and that's a good thing. For those whom he loves, he chastens. He does this because he loves you. Your parents' children discipline you because we love you. And that's something that we need to remember and remind ourselves of, even from the very Word of God, every day. 
When trouble comes our way, we do well in prayerfully examining ourselves, considering whether God is correcting us for sin in our lives. But David goes on to to give further reason for his plea and request for mercy in verse 2. He says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Beloved, David's petition, his complaint here to the Lord was of being physically weak and ill. He was sick. Like Job, his bones were touched with infirmity, and so he called out to God for healing. Remember the words of the people in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, when they said, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. David's trouble wasn't only physical. The physical was definitely there. It was present. It was true. But David's trouble was also emotional and spiritual. How do we know that? Look at verse 3. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? My friends, to have a troubled mind, a troubled soul, was much more grievous than if David was merely physically sick. Having such really raised the bar. It raised the need for divine healing. In Psalm 41, verse 4, David said, I said, Lord, be merciful to me, heal my soul, And why? For I have sinned against you. What else is true of the Lord? Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Healing may be our petition. It may be our plea. But we are praying to a God who also delights in bringing such healing to his people. He heals the brokenhearted. And binds up their wounds. And so when David asked how long in verse 3 of Psalm 6, we find him asking how long God would permit his suffering to continue. For he desperately sought relief and deliverance from the only one, the only physician who could heal his body and soul. His body was troubled, his soul was troubled. And God is the only one who can heal both to the very core in full and complete. When Jesus predicted his death in John chapter 12, verse 27, he said this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Beloved, we even see in the words of Christ that even in his humanity, his soul was troubled. But when he asked his Father to deliver him from that which he came to do and to carry out, no, he would ask that the Father would glorify his own name through the work of Christ. 
In verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 6, David says, Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Really, David's questions here are very similar to the sons of Korah and those that they raised in Psalm 88, beginning in verse 12, when they said, Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah. Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The answers to those questions are clearly no. And so what is David's message here in these verses? His message is, Lord, if you deliver and comfort me, not only will I give you thanks and and encourage others to join me in thanksgiving, but I will seek with all my heart to live my life in your service for your glory. Some scholars also believe that we find a plea for the resurrection here. For the dead cannot publicly glorify God. And so David returns in his plea to describe more of his condition as we now see David's tears and grief beginning in verse 6. In verse 6 he says, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eyes My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Beloved, these are some of the most detailed and specific words of grief that we find in the Scriptures. David was tore up about his sin and the consequences of it. He was cut to the heart. He was emotionally and spiritually worn out, and his tears showed it. Yes, courageous, godly kings cry, even weep. Godly men cry, especially as they sorrow and grieve over their sin. David doesn't leave us to wonder how deep his sorrow was or how much he cried. No, it's crystal clear. Look at his words. He cried all night, so much that he made his bed swim. He flooded his bed. His bed was drenched with tears, as was his couch. His weeping didn't only happened in his bed. It happened in other places of his house. There was thorough wetness from tears all over the place. Such a vivid picture that helps us to understand and to see the depth of sorrow, the depth of godly sorrow. When we think of great men, our thoughts may go to several qualities But remember this, great men are men of sorrow. Great men are men of sorrow. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53.3. Being sinless, Christ didn't sorrow over any sin of his own, but was well acquainted with suffering and pain. Further, Scripture teaches us 
The shortest verse in the Bible, you may know it, Jesus wept. John 11, verse 35. The writer to the Hebrews, yet again in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, says this about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, note, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Here we find wonderful details regarding Christ and his humanity, as well as Christ and his deity. Again, beloved, strong people who do brave things like David did with Goliath. David was no weak man. Strong people who do brave things still melt in tears when they consider their sin and the divine wrath that would justly be upon them apart from God's mercy in Christ. And notice this is where David's at. You know, it's one thing for us to realize these things within our own hearts and to keep them private and even maybe unspoken. It's another thing when these things are open before the Lord and we are openly speaking about these things before God. Really, again, demonstrates the work of God in the heart as he brought David to the end of himself, as he brought David to tears, and that was very, very good. But notice that David then shows his confidence in the Lord as he starts to bring this psalm to a conclusion. He shows his confidence in the Lord in the midst of his tears. And notice that he gives three reasons why the workers of iniquity should turn aside and stop. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. And so what are these three reasons? God heard his weeping. He heard his supplication. And God would receive his prayers. Yes, great men weep, but great men weeping to the great and almighty God and him hearing them is what's important here. Their prayers are received. And that, beloved, that should be of great concern for the wicked and ungodly rebels who were against them. Verse 10, he says, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. David's desire was that their pride would be crushed, that their vain hopes of conquering and destroying him would be dashed. Ultimately, his desire was that they, in their great shame and trouble, would turn from their malicious practices against him and truly submit to him as king. I want you to think about some things here as we close. 
The chastening hand and the work of the Lord is a humbling yet wonderful act of God towards you. Never forget that. Have you been chastened by the Lord? Are you familiar with the Lord's chastening hand? If you are, praise him for he is treating you as a son or a daughter. His chastening is his evidence of love for you, and therefore don't despise his chastening. Yes, it may be painful, but afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life, and that's wonderful. We desire that. It's kind of like when we pray for patience, and we desire that to be a peaceful, non-eventful process, but yet... We know that the Lord brings things about and builds that patience in us, but uh, he likely takes us through some trials to do that. But this being said, regularly examine yourself and repent of sin. See David in his example here. Do not be a stranger to repentance and godly humility in your life. For trust me and know that this is what Satan loves to do in the heart of believers, is he loves to get you calloused in sin so that you do become more of a stranger to repentance. You sit and wallow and walk in sin, though you have been freed from it. You're no longer under its bondage, and yet you go back to the enemy's camp and put on the enemy's uniform as if you belong there. May that never be. Repent of sin and seek to walk faithfully with your God. But I also want to ask you, how often do tears flood your eyes when the weight of your sins against the holy God presses down upon your conscience? It's true that the more familiar and frequent you are with unrepented sin, the less familiar you are with humility and brokenness and the tears that flow from it to God. We need to be careful here that we don't become hyper-evaluating and say, well, tears haven't flowed like a gusher. That must mean something. Is there true godly sorrow in your hearts as you go before the Lord? Do you see the heinousness and the odiousness of your sin? That is the important thing. But tears flow when we are brought to the end of ourselves. And we see ourselves in light of who He is. And we see His holiness. And we see our error. We see our sin. And we're broken. If you are walking in the way of death, repent and abandon it and turn to walk with Christ. If sincere godly sorrow is a thing of your past and not your present, cry out to the Lord Jesus for mercy and help today, for it needs to be part of your present and your future. When you sorrow 
When you go before the the throne of grace weeping to the Lord, take great comfort like David that, that God hears your tears. He hears your supplications and He receives and will receive your prayers in Christ. Know that your Redeemer is also your advocate and your friend and your intercessor at the right hand of the Father. Know that the third person of the Trinity is your intercessor. He hears your groanings. And He intercedes for you before God. He receives your prayers which should likewise be of great comfort to you and great concern for the enemies of Christ and his people. For the living God listens to us. These things were a great comfort to David. May they be a great comfort to you as well. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, O Lord, we thank you for these wonderful psalms, even this psalm in Psalm 6. Such a wonderful window into David's life and heart. Such wonderful instruction and guidance for our own. O Lord, may your Spirit work in mighty and wonderful ways, even in ways that may surprise us or ways that are good for us, in humbling us before you. O Lord, may your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, I pray that your word, even here tonight, that it would pierce and it would cut and that we truly would see ourselves in your holiness and fall on our knees in repentance and prayer, knowing your love and your mercy to us in Christ. Father, help us to be a penitent people. Break the clay, get the scale off of our eyes. If we are wandering or if we are dabbling in sin, Lord, convict us and guide us Oh, Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. We thank you and praise you for your very mercy and your grace. And we pray these things in Christ's name.